Welcome back to the Stab Cusp. I'm Stace Galbraith, and on behalf of my co-host and I, we'd like to welcome a man who's spent over 15 years in the ranks of the ASP and the WSL. He's done it all from unpaid coffee runs, mewling boards to Channel Island stalwarts Kelly Slater and Dane Reynolds. He's been the former Senior Vice President of Global Brand Identity. And now, Mikey, we are breaking news on the Stab Cusp. Congratulations, Dave Proden, the new Chief Brand Officer for the WSL. Thank you. That was a nice intro. Hey, tell me, Dave, I'm really curious, actually, about these titles that you guys give out at the WSL. It seems like everybody's like the vice president of something. So who is just like, you know what I mean? Like, who's the top guy in all these categories? Or is it just Eric? Like, he is just the president of every different faction. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's one that we've had around the company for a few years, definitely after the acquisition. I think when we got acquired at the end of 2012, I think there was about five of us full time that were left and we were just like media guy, tour guy, and that was <laughs> kind of covered everything. And then, yeah, I think after the acquisition, when we consolidated all those previously disparate mechanisms of the sport, we had like a pretty big headcount added in and tiered out a lot of things and got really specific about a lot of things. But yeah, I think that, you know, across our tours and competition division or our, our wave company division or the studios division, there's a lot of sort of leadership positions within that. Um, but yeah, Eric is a CEO. He oversees it all and he kind of runs a, a senior leadership team and, and they kind of oversee a, a general org structure. Got it. And how many people work for the WSL? Yeah, I think like it's, it's probably somewhere between 75 and 90 at the moment. Um, okay. And that's across our headquarters in Santa Monica, you know, our regional offices, um, those three business units that I was talking about, the studios division, tours and competition, and um, the wave company. Okay, awesome. Um, and you guys recently basically, you know, pretty much like every company in the world, you guys recently had to furlough some percentage of the staff. Is that right? Yeah, we made some pretty difficult um, organizational decisions last week. Um, I think the company was was undergoing an evolution earlier in the year when Eric took over from exclusively a sports league to a media company wrapped around a sports league. And so he was kind of restructuring a bit of the organization around that and kind of sharpening parts of it and trying to get more focus on a few parts. And yeah, like every other company, you know, not being able to run tours and competition, we've been financially impacted. So we had to make some hard decisions around furloughing and staff reductions and, and those came down last week, but those also sort of wove into that evolution of the company. So, you know, while it was hard, hopefully it gives us pretty good focus moving forward through the pandemic and then after the pandemic. Yeah. It would seem that no one's immune to that at the moment across all businesses. So it's, it's sad, but hopefully, um, you know, some new doors open for those people that are no longer in the business. But on that, I guess you've said a few buzzwords in there that we copped a whole earful of the last couple of days. And that's a, a media company wrapped in a, a sports league, which makes a lot of sense to me. But uh, something that came to mind as we were putting this together, and I was trying to think of questions specifically more to you, because I do understand the differences between, say, the tour and the media. They, they are two separate things. You know, it's live entertainment versus potentially a documentary or whatever that gets produced. But with all the stuff that WSL is doing, like 21 days, all in, sound waves, and now Eric just mentioned box to box have come on with you guys. Fucking walk me through it. Like that's, you guys have got heaps going on. 
Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, I think when Eric was overseeing the studios, he was president of studios last year when he came on and he really developed a philosophy of, um, you know, we run live events about 60 days of the year, um, like major, major live events. And, and we don't necessarily have a product offering around those other 300. Obviously, they sort of ramp up and, and debrief components to those live events. But, you know, his big thing was we need to start developing content and building relationships with content um, machines to fill out those other 300. So we don't have those big dips in audience. And so we can kind of keep the audience building through the year and, and we don't have people kind of run away in between events. Um, so yeah, so that fed into a bit of the brand work we've been doing over the last couple of years, which basically centered around, if you think of, you know, the idea of basketball and the NBA, they're really one in the same, or the idea of uh, gridiron football and the NFL, they're really one in the same. But historically, the idea of surfing, which foundationally is nonconformist and historically has actually been really, really profitable at times in terms of building up sort of a multi-billion dollar industry and the ASP and the WSL hasn't ever really been one in the same. You know, I think the ASP and the IPS before it and the WSL for a period of time really pursued like a hyper-specific competitive expression of surfing and did so in a way that almost quarantined it off from that broader idea of surfing. Um, so part of the media company evolution from my perspective is just starting to build those layers out from the sports league. Um, and I think the more successful content properties we've gone to market with are kind of what you've talked about, whether it's sound waves or 21 days, they're not so far afield from, you know, the world's best surfing. They're just kind of telling a little bit of more dimensionalizing those stories around the tour. Um, and that's what our audience is really into. I think at some point we're able to kind of move well outside of the live competition space as far as what kind of stories you want to tell as a media company. But for me, there always has to be some sort of connective tissue. Like at our core as a company, we're about the world's best surfing and crowning world champs. So that's our perspective. And that's why we would do really any storytelling that hasn't always been the case of the company, Yeah. but you know, I, I like kind of what stab does, like they're able to tell a wide berth of storytelling but at their core is something different, right? So we shouldn't be trying to do what you guys are doing and vice versa. Like we want to be able to work in partnership and kind of have our own identities. Yeah. Well, my mind is just like ping ponging around right now because of probably actually the last thing that you just said, like you wouldn't try to do what other media outlets are trying to do. And I think of the, the forms of storytelling that I just mentioned there, like 21 days is Red Bull, right? Yeah. That's a partnership. Um, oh, okay, cool. Is, is it, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we do like partnerships with Red Bull and I think 21 yeah. Days is one that we work on with them. And you would probably think that All In and Soundwaves, you'd call them WSL Studios? That's it. Sorry. All In is our partnership with Red Bull. Red 21 Days is exclusively Red Bull. All In yep. is our partnership. And then Soundwaves is just WSL. Right. At the end of it, like I thought the 21 Days thing, for instance, with Kolohe was unbelievable. Never seen him in that light before and I was properly hooked. So I think in that sense, like the whole media side of it is, is pretty mental. Do yeah, I mean, your I, I job, right. As brand, is that just media or tours or everything? Or like, where, where do you focus? It's <laughs> a, a good question. When, when I find out, um, or when you have a recommendation, you can tell my boss about it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, and I think kind of that idea of like, how do you widen the aperture of what the WSL means to people when for four, four plus decades, it's been exclusively competitive surfing, it's a good challenge, right? And we've kind of um, organically been diversifying our product space, you know, since the acquisition, right? Like 
when we before the acquisition, we were basically just shortboarding, men's and women shortboarding. And then after that, it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do big wave surfing and we're gonna have a wave system and we're gonna have an ocean health advocacy program in Pure and we're gonna do uh, in an airborne series and we're gonna retool longboard and we're already really like diversifying how we were expressing surfing anyway. So the brand work largely just said, okay, well, like what is the identity underneath all of that and how do we best support those very, very distinct things um, to the market in a real positive way um, or in a real just appropriate way. So what Uh, is the identity of the WSL? Because I feel like I've struggled trying to figure that out. Just, you know, looking at the Instagram, it just feels kind of like a catch-all to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the the teething process we've probably been going through, right? When you say we're going to be, you know, when you when you go from saying we're going to be the NFL of professional surfing to we're going to be all things surfing, or we want to be synonymous with the idea of surfing, and then everything is on the menu. Kind of, it's a dangerous thing, right? Because then some of those platforms are just like, yeah, like here's dogs on stand up paddle boards, isn't that great? And it's like, what does this have to do? <laughs> we're doing. Um, and it's it's a it's a catch twenty two because that kind of stuff really engages to that. I heard you say the other day, Mikey, like the mantle version of the of the core outside the core, right? Some people are just attracted to that. I think the brand and identity work is really about saying, okay, well, why are we doing it? Like, what what is what do we actually have to say about dogs on subs, or should we even be saying anything about that, right? Yeah, I think um, that would be the crust actually that you're referring to. <laughs> moving into like atmospheric. I'll fuck all that up. Yeah. But, yeah. But but I think it's I think for me, you know, and kind of where I land is that if the WSL becomes, you know, this sort of mechanism to deliver a home for surfing as an idea, at the core of that is always going to be, you know, our business is about the world's best surfing and crowning world champions. That doesn't mean that someone that has an awesome story to tell or a community that's got a great program isn't going to be involved in that ecosystem um, even if they've got nothing to do with the ct but i do think that always has to start from that place where it's like that's kind of why we exist right and that's part of the work we've been going through is getting really focused around that and some of the stuff we've tested out in the market over the last few years intentionally unintentionally you know we might not do that going forward and that's okay so Going back to the tour, because I guess that's what you're saying is that is kind of the core. Um, Yeah, I just have some like kind of random questions that have floated around my head for a long time. Like, for instance, there is this kind of prevailing sentiment that the WSL has been essentially losing money since its inception. Is that correct? Like, is that actually true? Or is that just something that people like to say? Well, I know. I mean, I think that the... The WSL since the acquisitions, it's fair to say it's been in an investment phase um, in the sense of trying to build up these different tours and trying to build up these studios, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, the revenue that we've generated year over year is, has gone up quite significantly in a lot of ways. Um, and within that, like different parts of the business are very, very profitable. Um, I think kind of what we were talking about before on that, what are we and what is our business and the diversification phase we've gone through that's been interesting right because we've tested different parts of the market but yeah i mean the core of our business is really really profitable especially for when you're able to kind of lean the operation down which is the process we were going through over the last couple months so the tours you're saying like specifically the ct and the qs those are actually like the profitable parts right now yeah but i mean the other things too like i mean there's different content properties that pull in quite a bit of money um for the investment that goes into it so yeah, I mean, I think that the when those things start to harmonize, and even the wave system itself, like 
as a commercial proposition has pulled in you know, millions of dollars. Um, so I think it's kind of one of those things where optimizing each of those parts of the business and figuring out how they harmonize and not work against each other, you know, kind of turns things around pretty quickly for the WSL. The whole general sentiment that we've been talking about is the WSL kind of focusing and maybe downsizing as part of that. So one of the ideas that I proposed in our last episode was to actually cut the CT down and specifically basically take away the bottom half of the men's tour, make the men and women sides equal, which I know aligns with kind of your general sentiment in the WSL. And doing a tour that is more streamlined, which I think is another word you just used, um, and essentially making it for, you know, strike missions. You're going to go to this spot for two days and we're going to bang out an event and the waves are going to be pumping. And yeah, is that something that you guys are considering? Yeah, I mean, I think all, there's a lot to unpack there. I think all those things are things that have been considered over the last couple of years and hopefully things, parts of those things will be rolling out kind of in 2021. The um, cutting the field down is an interesting one because it doesn't necessarily shave too much runtime off of an event. And what you lose when you cut the field down is the national diversification and storytelling capability of having a larger set of people. You know, if we cut the tour down to say 16 or something, there's a good chance that we could end up with a tour with, you know, 12 Brazilians and two Australians and one American, right? And we're missing out on Japan, we're missing out on Central America, we're missing out on all these audience um, groups that we would want to drive um, viewership to drive revenue on that side of the, the business. Um, that said, you can definitely streamline those events. And ideally, I think what Pat and his team and tours and competition are working on are trying to get it down to what you highlighted in the last episode, which is a two day event, right? Because most of the swell cycles we operate with are two day events or two day swell cycles. So if we can cut it down to that, then we're in really, really good shape because then we can shorten the windows. They're not exactly two weeks anymore, but probably around 10 days. And if you can shorten those down to a week, finding two days in a week is, or one swell cycle in a week's much more manageable than what we had to do before when you had to run a five or six day event. The equal number things, certainly something that we've been exploring. One of the things that we've been doing in the last few years is investing like top down on the women's side of surfing in the sense of more quality venues. Like I think in 2014, it was, we added um, Fiji trestles. We brought Maui back and we moved the French event from Biritz in the summer to Hossegor in the fall. Um, so huge investment in kind of like quality venues there and then prize money parity in 2014. And then, prize money equality in, in 2019. Um, so that's been a lot of top-down um, investment in women's surfing. I think what, what we want to do moving forward is continue that, but also kind of do bottom-up investment as well. If you look at global numbers based on what we have anyway, the SEMA study says the men to women ratio in terms of surfing is about nine to one globally. Our membership in the WSL is five to one, and then we have a two to one men to women on the um, CT. So we're already really kind of radically overcorrecting for the depth of talent we have out there in the market. So what we want to do is take programs like Rising Tides and connect that to surf schools regionally and then connect that to amateur systems and then connect that to pro juniors and really build that foundation. So in a few years time, we have a larger, you know, global pool to pull, um, you know, real, real high level talent from on both men's and women's side. Yeah, for sure. That Rising Tides program is is amazing. So top credit to everyone that's in behind that there because I feel like 
it's kind of in Australia has been top down as well. Like we have three CTs for men and the women and then a bunch of high level QSs and probably the least um, talked about announcement in uh, of, of the, the four points that just came out was the regional tours. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this or if you can really answer it. Cause I understand it's not necessarily your department. So feel free to just flag this one altogether. They're all my department. These days. <laughs> How are you going to make the regional tour, um, you know, relevant to compete in it, but not so relevant that it wipes out the challenger series or the, the need to do it. Um, with, for example, a QS 1000, the prize purse is 10,000 of the local currency, mm-hmm. but a QS 3000, it's a, it's not just three 1000s combined is what most people think. Like the prize purse right. for a QS 3000 is $110,000. So there's just no incentive if you're a local surf shop or local brand or major brand to want to get behind that from my you know, observations anyway. Is there moving forward? Is there something you guys have in place to kind of make those regional tours, you know, worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the the reality is, and I think it's it's fair to say, like on all the announcements that came out this week, and I think we kind of said it is they were intended to be directional um, in a lot of ways because to make all these things happen, to continue to make all these things happen, I should say, like we're going to have to have dozens, if not hundreds, of stakeholder conversations with surfers and sponsors and permitting authorities and local governments and for sure it is going to leak because there's a lot of interesting stuff happening and what we wanted to do is be as transparent as we could with the market and say look we're planning to do these things we don't have all the details yet we plan to have those very very soon you're probably going to hear about them and when you do you'll at least be able to point to okay that makes sense because this is what they're trying to do here Mm. on the regional side of things effectively what we wanted to do was you know, Pat working with uh, Travis Logie, who's sort of the head of the QS on the tours and competition side of things, um, really looking at it and saying, it's an untenable proposition right now for, for a young surfer, an upcoming surfer to say, I've got $30,000, I'm going to take a crack at the QS and travel around the world. You're just financially over leveraging yourself in a way that's not really fair. You're putting undue pressure, not only on yourself, but probably your sponsors who are like, I don't want to lose this kid to the QS in the wilderness for a few years and spend 30K out of his marketing budget to do it. Yeah. Um, what we really want to do, um, probably if it doesn't come off exactly like that, is almost creates three tiers, right? Where the Challenger Series becomes a, a middle tier. And then the regional tier becomes like a real sort of development space, not unlike sort of the Bud Tour in the US or you know, the, basically the QS system from Australia, Australia, excuse me, in Brazil, in sort of the mid oddies, or even mm-hmm. like something like the, the Billabong Pro Junior Series in Australia, like around the turn of the century. And the thing that's cool about those three examples is that when you do have sort of concentrated domestic or sort of regionalized tours, the talent that comes out of that is so, so high. I mean, like Paddle's say it himself he's like taylor and i never would have qualified for the show if we didn't get to stay close to home and work through the bud tour you know the brazilian storm largely rose out of that really strong domestic circuit that they had in brazil in the mid oddies and i mean the the billabong junior series in australia like you know take your pick your poison like you were probably around for that stays too it's like oh i couldn't really john cansdale like all those guys came out of it and so the idea is to really encourage um surfers to stay close to home and build their seeds up and and test themselves on a development tier and 
you know, there are marketing and media benefits to that too, in terms of being able to have like sort of national um, champions or sort of regional champions. And there might be ladders up into the challenger series off of that. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, the Billabong junior series was a junior series within a junior series. That's how many events there were. It was, it was amazing. You know, there was a, that you could win the Billabong series and be in held as the same regard as someone who won the overall series. Like it was, you know, a pretty good time. I just wondered deep down how the WSL can really help compensate to get events back to that stage. Like, what do you do? Lower licensing fees? I guess these are all questions that you guys are probably still working out. So I don't really want to waffle on about hypotheticals, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think part of it too is, you know, it's, it's also working with the permitting authorities and like the local communities and saying like, is this a good event to have, you know? And I think you guys touched on it a little bit in the, the last episode in the sense of there there were years at the ASP WSL where it was kind of like the Death Star moving into a community, setting up a giant infrastructure. <laughs> you know, like we really did have like an isolationist policy in the sense of like we weren't, you know, accrediting, you know, photographers like Peter Jolie for some reason, you know, because we want to do it all ourselves and we want to keep everything on the platform. So, yeah, you know, yeah. that 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 philosophy has evolved considerably since then. So I think it's kind of resetting a conversation with a lot of these places and saying, what do you even want us here? You know, and I think you do. Um, mm-hmm. What would it take? Like smaller event footprint. Can we use some of the sponsorship money to give back to the local community? Can we guarantee a local trials to make sure your kids are getting a shot for the event? Mm-hmm. Can we, wh- whatever it is, you know, and I think, those are conversations that that lighten the financial pressure on a lot of these events in a lot of ways. Um, because, you know, we were having this conversation the other day. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's like the, the WSL is sort of this enablement platform um, in a lot of ways. And if you don't want to overcomplicate it, which is cool. Like, I mean, there's, you know, if the thing, if it's working right, anyone from anywhere can kind of turn up and perform and change their life, which, is a rad thing to see like and i think we put a ton of stuff on top of that like that's not necessarily for the best like whether it's sort of marketing stuff or this stuff or what you know and it's you know i think we kind of get in our own way a lot i guess is what i'm saying and and i think that the direction we're moving in now is is recognizing that and and kind of going back to basics yeah there was a big difference between like the takeover period like asp to wsl was very wsl versus the world fuck everyone. If your sponsor doesn't sponsor any of our comps, don't you dare wear their hat on this podium and so on and so forth. But it's great to see it come full circle now where you're proposing all of these changes and being as transparent as you can be, I guess. And now you're not only being transparent, but you're also asking for public feedback, which I guess probably leads Mike into one of his questions. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, actually Stace, I think brought this up, but I've been, fascinated and kind of shocked honestly to see the public response to this which at least on the channels that I've been checking has been probably about 90% negative of people being like genuinely upset that you would consider I mean ultimately the the thing that they're mad about is that the world title surf off that you know in their eyes we're just kind of trying to be like other sports when people feel like surfing is this special thing that should have its own special rules and i don't know I, yeah i'm just curious uh how you guys feel about that negative response and if that matters at all to your plans moving forward yeah i mean it's a good one i i think it's funny i think i mean probably most of the people that responded negatively to it weren't really happy with the way we were doing it anyway um 
but to in full transparency and like we talked about this like this isn't necessarily a new idea i mean stab reported on the server meeting from trestles a few years ago where a version of this was um uh presented to the surfers and i was part of the um i guess the development group at the time and part of the development group on this one and i in full transparency i was one of the biggest detractors um when we were pushing the idea the first time around um and i kind of centered around the legitimacy component because i just said well it's just not the same like you know i worry about us being able to say this is as legitimate as sort of an andy title or a steph title that's already happened um and the first group we met with back the first time around was the world champs um in fiji and to a person, um, they were overwhelmingly um, really, really positive on it. And I kind of, it really shut me up because I thought, well, look, if they think it's legit, who am I to, to argue with that? Um, and I think kind of, I know opinions may change since then, but like, I do think that my experience, just hearing the surfers feedback on it on tour, I underestimated how many alphas there were on tour in a big way and, and like kind of, in my head, I'm thinking like, and I'm not, in case that's not obvious, um, but, but, you know, in my head, I kind of wrap, I was like, okay, well, I guess the thing is, is that they all think they can beat each other on any given day, right? And I think that there's so many of them that are like, oh, well, if I, if I perform throughout the year, which is still really important, and I get a shot at concentrating all my energy on this one day, I've got, I've got a chance, you know, and whether it's Gabrielle or Felipe or whoever, or, you know, Carissa or Tyler, they're going like, no, I'll win more world titles this way because I believe that every time I'm going to get a shot at the dance and then I'm going to win. Like that's kind of the way my brain's working. And look, like, I mean, we, as I said, we've got 50 surfers that um, are all going to have different opinions and not all of them, I think are going to be a hundred percent on it, but it's been interesting psychologically to see how people respond to it. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've come, I, oh, I mean, I was convinced after the Fiji meeting with the world champs a few years ago that it was a good idea um, and kind of drilling into the format that, that we've been kicking around on development side and some of the locations we've been considering. I just think it's going to be a really exciting thing and I think it's going to be totally worthy. And yeah, some of those examples that are out there, whether it's the AFL grand final or the NFL, I mean, sort of apropos that the Jordan documentary is playing right now um, in a lot of ways because I kind of... <laughs> I kind of think that he'd be one of those guys. It's like, yeah, no, for sure. Like you can win every game in the regular season. You can win every game in the playoffs. If you don't turn up to the final and win, you didn't win, you know, and that's sport, hmm. which I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm for it. Like, I, I really think it's cool. So it's interesting. I mean, I think the public feedback will kind of oscillate. I think the more details we reveal when we can will help. And then I think a big portion of them, like they'll just have to see it to believe in it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that's kind of going to be the way it goes. Yeah, I back it because to me, I mean, I work in surfing, but it's also just like my greatest form of entertainment. And to me, nothing sounds more entertaining than that. You're guaranteed an absolute spectacle at the end versus, you know, like you guys have said, John won his first world title on the beach in Portugal, or maybe he was in the water, but, he, you know, it was before the last event. And then I brought up the Julian and Gabby thing last time and it just felt like a dead final. It's like, what's the point of them even being out there? Um, so well, yeah, I'm on board. And, and also I wanted to uh, bring up, you were talking about possible locations for it. And that brings me to another question that I had, which is that we've heard that the 
calendar that you guys are considering rolling out with might not follow the like annual calendar like it might not necessarily be like a 2020 season like it might be a crossover like you have in football where you start in 2020 and you end up in 2021 is that true or do you guys have any idea of what the calendar might look like well no we haven't made a decision on that yet but we are just working off of like essentially a 12-month calendar that's not necessarily january december hopefully it is right but i think the idea is that the development is 100 percent around ensuring the world's best surfers stay in the world's best waves and a number of the ct venues now well i mean all of them we're planning on uh, we're planning on moving into these spaces so um you know there might be some that slip off there might be some that get added but yeah i think at the moment we don't have like a timeline on like okay when is the season start when doesn't it but yeah we're working through that and one of the things i was going to add too just on, on that first point you made mike is someone brought it up i, I think i won't actually I won't name names but it was someone um hardcore on tour and they said about the idea of this uh this world title day they said you know what i like about it is that so often even if it comes down to the last event or the last day it's not the world's best surfers fighting each other for the title it's you know they're fighting someone else and they'll lose to someone else and and that's how it goes down like you never get these these guys or girls that are in the hunt facing each other for the, for the title it's very very rare and this person said, you know, that's what's going to, that's what convinced me. They're like, I just want to see how they deal when they're facing the other sort of like, you know, 800 pound gorilla. That's what they, and I said, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm all for yeah. it. I would have to agree with what you said earlier about a hundred percent of them would take their own bet slip against another competitor on the day to win a title, like 16 V1. They're going, yup, I'm on. If you give me that chance, I'm going to back myself in. And I think that's pretty well athlete mentality, right? That's how they got to the top. They really believed in themselves. And I think from like outside of perspective looking in, if I kind of scratched my head, like if all the world champs from that era of like 2014, 15 sat down and gave it the green light, everyone internally gave it the green light. You guys are fucking running the show. It doesn't matter what we think. I think it's going to be sick. And I think the athletes, they are of that mentality where you set the bar, they will jump over it. Okay. So to that point, question for both of you, say that the proposed idea for the next year had been the WSL status quo or the ASP status quo, like since its inception, does Slater have more or less than 11 titles today? It's hard because he had some title years in there where he missed Brazil. Didn't really look like he wanted to be in Portugal, you know, so that's up to him. He had, he knew what the parameters were at the time to compete and win. So no, he has 11 titles. No, I'm just saying like in, in a hypothetical situation, if Slater got to surf in this end of the year surf off every single time that he ended up in the top six or whatever it was, do you think he would have more or less titles than he does today? Depends on the venue, but statistically he doesn't lose a lot of pipe, does he? Yeah, it does depend on the venue. I mean, geez, like it, that's a really good question, right? Cause we're dealing with someone who we like to say was like the next best thing in surfing for 30 years. So if he makes it to that last day, it, virtually any venue between what like 1990 and 2014-15 right like so that's what 25 years 
we give him at least half of that. So that's over 11 for me. <laughs> you might have like 20 world titles. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, and it's interesting how rules can affect a sport. Like I remember I did this uh, kind of research story where I looked at if you guys, cause you guys have changed the way that points are allocated for different results in an event. And I went back last time you changed them. And I said, if we applied these rules to the past 10 years, would they have changed any world championships? And it actually would have, it would have changed the year that Mick won over Kelly. Um, Kelly would have won another world title that year had the point system been the same as it is right now. So he, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it does actually make a difference. Oh yeah. I mean, in that the technical committee, which kind of oversees that, which I've sat on mostly as a um, note taker, um, <laughs> is um, like constantly tweaking it right and they're constantly tweaking it in collaboration with the surfers and saying is this fair is it not fair should we give that place more points or whatever and it's super interesting i mean i i won't speak for kelly but i do think that he is a big fan of what's being proposed because i think he thinks like well yeah no if it's a one day thing and i get to the day i can win you know and i think in his the computer brain he's got going on there he's like those are way better odds right now than me maintaining across the course of a season, whether it's injury or just sort of conditions or whatever, you know, and he's, he's sort of what like Lestat from interview with a vampire, the fangs are coming out. After he's <laughs> a bit of blood. He's like, I, says, I could do this. For another hundred you years. could do another yeah. 10 years now. You know? <laughs> sure. I think the only person who loses with this is John, John Florence, because John, John can be extremely dominant over the course of a year. And of course he could do well in the last event, but he could also just be kind of overtaken by guys who have more natural grit than him, like a Medina. But, I mean, mainly it was Medina who I'm thinking about, but like when Medina gets into those clutch, you know, moments, he's just like fucking full on, you know, and it just seems like nothing's going to get in his way. Of course he didn't, you know, win the title last year. So of course it's possible to beat him, but yeah, to me, John John seems like the biggest loser in this situation. It's interesting. Like, I didn't, I, we had a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago, and it was before we announced. I didn't ask him directly, but I did ask him kind of like what motivates him, you know? And he's just like, well, yeah, I think I asked him, I said, was there ever a point in your career when you thought, man, I don't want to do the competition thing? I just want to, um, you know, I just want to surf pipe more and go free surfing. He's like, every day, today, I think that, you know? And I said, why are you still doing your thing? And he said, well, and he, I've heard this, a version of this from like, like high, high level surfers over the years. And he's like, I just feel sharper in a heat, you know, and I, I like the psychological challenge and I like the way my brain melds with my body and melds with my surfing under those conditions. Like I, I, he looks at it kind of like a challenge and he kind of parlayed that into watching the final last year with Italo and Gabe. And he's like, I've never seen anything like that. He goes, I'd love to know what that feels like. I, I get the sense that he's, and we say this all the time, he's much more competitive than kind of everyone kind of lets him out to be. Um, and I, I think I think he would, I, I think it's a good point. Like, I think he could easily struggle, but at the same time, I think he could shock us all and be like, wow, no, he was, he was dominant from the start of this day to the end of the day in one world title. But Gabe is a total terminator. Like, he, he's really radical. I think John would rise to the challenge. It's a new challenge. I think that he would, he would, he would, you know, I don't think he loses at all. No, I think we find this like new John, John who just comes out and becomes like the silver terminator and 
Gabby's like the dark Terminator and it's just two Terminators just going hell for leather. Not to mention like there's new guys too that are kind of hitting their Terminator straps. Like Italo's going into that mold. Like he had a year where he won three events and didn't want, win a title. Like you could throw him in there with that ring of like, should he have more? You know, but back to your question earlier, actually, I thought about it, Mikey. I reckon you could give Mick Fanning another title or two, if that's your theory. He's pretty clutch. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Five titles for Mick, eh? We'll lock it in. Yeah, I guess, Dave, as the WSL's brand manager, what are some brands that you uh, like personally and that kind of inspire the direction that you want to take the WSL? Jeez, that's a good question. Well, I'd like to add, you're from Ventura, and it's pretty cool up that way. You've bred some very <laughs> cool surfers that are very influential. And I would say they're almost anti what the WSL's brand kind of looks like. So where do you fit in, Proden? That's a good question. You're going to get me run out of my house. The, um... You've lasted this long. <laughs> Survivor. Siege mentality. The, um <laughs> It's a good question. Like, actually, maybe the way to answer it is this is, um, you know, when I started at the, the ASP in 2006, um, it was like in the kind of PR media comm space. I don't know. Like, it was just one thing. Um, and it was, it kind of, it, it, it came up, it was at the same time as sort of the information age was really catching on in the sense of, you know, the internet was, was really picking up. <laughs> thing called the internet was really big now mm. and social media and a lot of these things and we were a nonprofit organization we didn't have a ton of resources but even early on my my pr philosophy was um there's no point in pretending that you're something you're not like even if you have all the resources in the world like if you say you're one thing and and you're something else like you'll get found out really quick so the best thing to do is to just be authentic and, and honest about who you are um, and I think that's kind of informed my personal philosophy when it comes to brands I like um, moving forward. And I, I think kind of the consumers actually move more towards that in, in sort of the information age as well, because it's really, it's really um, democratized how people access brands, right? I think like 30 years ago, like if you were into Nike or Air Jordan, like no one had an idea that he was like an asshole. You know, like people thought he was just like the superhero. Um, hmm. And a big function of that was there was no iPhone and there was no Instagram, there's no Twitter. And, and you were able to curate an image that in a brand that was not exactly true to what it really was. Right. And really powerfully um, and effectively. I don't think anyone's allowed to do that anymore in 2020. I don't think people have been allowed to do that for a long time. So, you know, I think brands that are just really honest. I mean, you mentioned Ventura. This is where Patagonia is. I think they've had a lot of success um, just because they, they kind of know who they are um, and they just, they don't, it's kind of a no frills kind of thing. You know, I, I like the stuff that Dane does with former, like mostly because I don't feel like there's a ton of daylight between how that brand or how those clothes get expressed and who he and his partners are as people. Yeah. You know, like I don't think there's a lot of the affectation there. And that's really what I like about how we've, position the WSL like recently, which is just kind of getting very clear about what we are and what we aren't. Um, you know, we are an enabling platform. We are about the world's best surfing inside of this organization. Um, you guys are definitely I, about enabling. What's that? Stand up, the stand up paddler from Oklahoma at the, uh, in the president's seat. <laughs> That's very enabling. Uh, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think it's one of those things too, like in, and not to, not to blow Dane Reynolds up too much, but like, 
he he i don't know where i heard this but like he had this definition of what a kook is i think he's on like monster children or something and he's like he, he's like a kook has nothing to do with surfing ability you know he's like I, he goes you can be the worst surfer in the world and if you're self-aware um you know you're not a kook and i'm like oh cool i'm not i'm not a kook it's great <laughs> um, and and he's like on top of that he goes at the end of the other end of that like you could be a really, really good surfer, but if you think you're way fucking better than you are, you are a total fucking kook. And I'm like, that's the best definition of this I've ever heard in my life. And so, yeah, I mean, whether someone's into like body surfing or supping or whatever, like as long as there's a self-awareness there, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I thought his like breakdown of the lineup out of Stab in the Dark when they're in South Africa was just prize <laughs> so winning so bloody good. philosophy that was psycho it was so true it's just every lineup around the world has that and i think his awareness at that point in time sipping on a tin of an afternoon overlooking the ocean he was just in the zone that breakdown was amazing well it was like wrestling with his own identity too he's yeah, like yeah fully to work, but then i don't know <laughs> like who cares like <laughs> He's really, he's really yeah. gone down like the inception hole of like what we're all doing in surfing. Oh. Like, you got to come back or we're all screwed. Yeah, it was a full stream of consciousness thought. Just, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. But no, it's funny because I think from like the WSL's perspective and using Dane, fuck it, it's blowing him up. He's like the best ever. When he kind of like said no to the tour, but then WSL kind of wanted him back and threw him a few wild cards. And I think a lot of us were just like kind of tripping like fucking what? they doing like he just thumbed his nose at these guys and now he, he's getting a leg up and it's just like i remember at the time jack was just smashing out three thousands in pantin just going like like you know i'm ticking all the boxes here you know he was first out on the tour from not qualifying the year before and it was just like a bit of a you know so i guess yeah it's it's if you're going to be all encompassing i guess it's good to just go out and say it because then it kind of gives you guys a, a coding because you can do whatever you want now, which is fine. But it was just a bit weird when it wasn't so transparent. And back in those early changing years, it seemed like a little. Yeah, that's like, uh, Stace, that reminds me, because I know that you're not a fan of the uh, ultimate surfer as a concept of like getting somebody, you know, into tour events necessarily. Um, And I kind of back it because the WSL in my mind is doing what you said and being really transparent that, ultimately yeah they, they're running a tour a legitimate tour where they're trying to find a legitimate world champion but they're also an entertainment company and to me i think that they should like utilize that as much as they can because it's like what's the point of having you know another random person on tour that's going to get last place anyway versus somebody that might bring something a little different even if they're not the best surfer even if they don't quote unquote like deserve to be there i think ultimately most of us just watch the tour because we want to be entertained. Right. And I think that they should almost push that even harder. Yeah. I mean, and I think part of it is like, it goes back to like the harmony point, like, okay, if the ultimate surfer is a good thing um, and it works, right. Then the idea is that there'll be a bridge from everyone that follows that to the tour, which means more eyeballs and more sponsorship and et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's kind of how the whole thing is supposed to work. Um, and we'll see about the ultimate surfer. Like, I think I am uh, involved in it. And uh, my role is around. Oh, you are? Are, are you going to, are we going to see you on tour next year? <laughs> no, I, I mean, of all the waves, I don't surf that well. I think I surf that pool the worst. So there's no fucking chance. It's a the, fucking um, hard wave to surf that thing. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. 
but um but I, my role in it was primarily well so far um we're on hold around shooting but primarily has been around casting um and so my my whole thing on casting um which is a really interesting experience i've never done anything like it um to work with an apc and all that yeah why didn't i get the call back what happened that's a good question man i mean i rated you pretty high um but wsl membership was out of date (laughs) (laughs) i don't know you wrote something nasty no the um i think it was mostly uh my, my old philosophy on who made made it over the line in terms of casting was like okay you know anyone that gets in the show is someone i'd want to see in a ct basically and and we had 700 people apply for 14 spots so we had to go through and grade everybody um and rate them and then they had to go through you know psych evaluations they had to go through basically like narrative you know like sort of i guess sort of investigation on the abc side um and at the end of the day i'm just like look like i know there's a bunch of people that probably tick these boxes in the sense of that person's interesting or whatever but like that person is would is never going to stand a chance in a ct and we have to have legitimacy over here and fortunately for us we had like a really deep talent pool of people that are like real hitters um, with real stories so yeah i think it'll be cool to i think it'll be a cool show to see um and yeah i mean i i certainly have my favorites i know who i want to get these wild cards and see how they do against the world class well, you got to drop at least one for us. Give us somebody who's going to be in the show. Nah, I don't think I can. <laughs> Damn it, Dave. Lucky well, that, maybe, maybe, maybe when they're ready to reveal, I'll say, how about I go on cusp and we'll, we'll break the whole thing down. Well, well I can tell you right sounds now. like an advertisement. That, that but, feels like you're getting more out of it than we are. This is our podcast. I can tell you right now, half of the QS signed up to do it and they were all in manly whinging about how shit it was, but they'd signed up for it. And I'm like, well, you're only whinging about it cause you didn't win. So there's good involvement. I'll say that much, you know, any of the boys that I was chatting to, if they had a one, I would have been stoked. So I was, I was shocked at some of the people that applied. Me, me, <laughs> too. me too. Give us, give us the most shocking person that applied just from like a, Holy shit. I can't believe that guy like actually submitted a proposal. Like tell me Bobby Martinez put it in. That would have been cool. <laughs> well, that goes back to the, that goes back to the wild card thing. Like I still think Bobby's one of the top five goofy footers on the planet. Um, you yeah, know, but you're, and, you have to say that. Because your area code. He's a good I guess, from I see, I don't see him much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stace probably sees him more than I do. Uh, uh, he sneaks around he town. Read, like, aren't you the guy that used to email me? And I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Thanks for remembering. It's great. Uh, but I mean, like, he's one of those guys that, like, that that to me is like an unfinished book. You know, like, I'd love to, I'd love to see him come back and, like, I mean, I guess a lot of times pass over ten years now or getting close to 10 years since new york but you know i'd love to see him surf like a right-hander or go back to chopu where he won twice i think it'd be sick or at least do the trials do something you know see if he still has it yeah he still has it he's so fucking good he's so good i you know you know i well you know i last time i saw him surf was actually oh man it was a long time ago is it at waco ripping unbelievable insane yeah he's insane surfer all right, Stace, are there any other questions that you have for old Dave here? Yeah, I definitely do. I uh, hope that's all right with you, Proden. Thanks for your time. Yeah, no, I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all good. As, for, as per usual, I feel like we're just hitting our straps. Um, uh, with, and this, you know, this is kind of really out of line with how the, the show has gone, but I don't really care. <laughs> with crowning the, the final back to the world title and having the final 
day. The details around that, we'll get to them. Like, we'll worry about that later. But I definitely want to know if there was any chat around the pool and its event of crowning it, the way you crown a champion there. Has that ever been discussed um, from the sense of you want to finish the world title in the water? I think there was a perfect opportunity here to practice something because that whole event is like new. So it doesn't really matter what you could say. No one would know any different. Like mm. the fact that Gabby's won on the concrete twice to me has that same like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the pool, it's like, it's, it's been spoken into being in such a weird way, right. Where it was always like a test facility and then all of a sudden it's an event and the, you know, like, and, and I think there's a lot of positives to it. I think it's an interesting like pressure test for a lot of the surfers. I think the format's changed every time we've done it. Um, so I think yeah. it's another one that we're going to evolve and continue to evolve. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but we can break it on the podcast. It's fine. The it. world title event um, will happen in the ocean. Um, so yeah. that's confirmed. Thank um, God. I don't have to go to scootering. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, that, I mean, and I think like that is, that is the, the core belief from ownership on down on that, um, especially when we roll it out um, in the next couple of years here. So, yeah, I mean, the pool, it's an interesting one. I, I think, I mean, I think it goes back to the Terminator thing. Like Gabby is just completely unflappable regardless of the format or the wave or, or it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that format can continue to be refined from a CT perspective. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. It could be something as simple as having him surf second last. He's probably going to win anyway. Like he is going to win anyway, <laughs> but just having Philippe surf the last wave of the event in second but goes last just so that you're like completely hooked like is he gonna do it <laughs> totally and um just on the pool it just kind of sparked an idea so obviously the wsl well actually i don't really know how it works but i think the wsl owns kelly slater wave company um why have we not seen any other pools built around the world like it just seems like that thing's been around since 20 the end of 2015 it's now halfway through 2020 what's going on yeah, I mean, I think there's been a few sites that were in development, but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a really, really big undertaking in the sense of, you know, whether you want to build one in Florida or Austin or Queensland. And um, yeah, I think there's just different ways to cut it, like whether it's, we're going to do this in a sort of, um, what's it called, like a part of a real estate development, or we're going to do this as strictly like a high level sports um, training facility. And um yeah i think there's been a lot of changes over there at that part of the business and and they're getting really focused on you know how they want to push that business moving forward um you know this is that not like a really profitable part because i mean the number that gets tossed around is fifty thousand dollars a day is what it takes to yeah. rent it out so i'd imagine that brings in a decent amount of money oh for sure and like i mean the impressive thing is they sell those days out like all those days that are available get bought out which yeah blows me away um, a lot of times but yeah, I mean, I think that the the development side of things, it took them 10 years to build the one little more. Um, and granted, like that was like an R&D facility. So they were kind of building as they went. But yeah, I just think they're sort of longer lead projects that, you know, hopefully they get more out there because I think that that fixes a little bit of the scarcity thing going on up in Lemoore, right? Where it's like, oh man, like this is the one system. So you know, ultimate surfer wants to use it and the WSL wants to use it for a CT event. And then we want to have these training days and we have these commercial days. And, and there's like six waves a day. 
Yeah, no, I mean, well, that's, that's the frequency thing's a big one. So, and I know the, uh, the R and D team over there and the engineering team are looking on cutting the uh, interval time down um, a lot, which I think is probably the most important thing there for sure. More waves yeah. is uh, easier for everyone. Um, Dave, retrospectively, what's been your favorite uh, era? Because I guess developing the new structure moving mm -hmm. forward, you've probably, obviously, the best thing to do is to look back. What's been your favorite? Um, well, well, as a fan, I mean, I was, and it probably just coincided with how old I was at the time, but like the Andy Kelly stuff. So 2002, 2003, 2004, that was before I worked at the company, but, um, <clears throat> I just thought that was like some of the best surfing and like so many stars were on the tour. You know, you had the Cooley kids were on there. Taj was on there. Kelly was on there um andy so that was some of like the favorite my favorite stuff i mean i think that <clears throat> sorry i think that looking back um i'll be really stoked that i was there to see gabrielle win his first world title you know i think that's we know how good he is and how impressive he is but i think that just what that did for south america and what that did for brazil um i don't think we fully appreciate it yet i just think it's a really really cool thing to be a part of and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of, as lame as it sounds, like I think the surfing that's being done today in the live arena is just better than anything I've ever seen before. And having been on tour in, you know, 06, 07, 08, 09, there was a huge delta between how good the surfers were that were on tour, but then how they performed in heats, right? Because they were fairly conservative because of judging criteria or format. And I think that the, the judges and the tours and competition office or the commissioner's office deserve a lot of credit because they've actually created conditions and encouraged surfers to surf at peak performance in live competition, which, you know, that's like the best thing ever for me. Like Bugs was the, uh, the president when I started and uh, he just said, he's like, this isn't a complicated thing. You just take the world's best surfers and you put them in the world's best waves and that's a formula to see some cool shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so and so when they're actually performing at their best that they're living up to that which is my favorite and i think i think last year was the best surfing i'd ever seen on tour and i'm convinced that when we start up it'll be the same but to your point um like you the first era that you brought up was andy kelly and yeah the surfing was great back then but ultimately it seems like it's the storylines that we're drawn to and that's the best storyline that we've had in the past two decades. And now we're kind of formulating these new ones that are getting there. And I think they will be there. But as of now, they're not quite there. So that, that was just interesting for me to hear that because it really is like, when you look at anything, it applies to everything in life and sports and whatever. It's like, we really just love interesting storylines, like human storylines. We do. I mean, I do think there's a like kind of the Jordan thing too. Like we didn't have full access to everything all the time. We didn't actually have like webcasts at every event or we didn't watch the webcasts at every event. We just kind of got the like the distilled goodness of like, yeah, it looks like it pumped every day. And like, it was just, everyone was getting nines the entire event. And, you know, we're doing these vault shows every Monday and we're looking at like events from the Audis and we've, uh, we've got one coming up on Tahiti and it was like 2005 Tahiti and it's a crack up. Like we're watching it and we're like, oh, this is cool. Like there's some really good waves in there, but there are a ton of nines in there that wouldn't even be sixes today. Like it was just one of those things. that's like, that's amazing. But it was just, things have changed so much, even in, even in just a short period of time. And I think, you know, it, it's personal, right? Like I think 
like Kelly legitimately the surfing world um, and the community, well, a lot of people still don't think he's human, but like he was a deity at the time, you know, and then you've got someone like Andy coming in and basically killing God, you know, and, and that for, you know, I think I was, you know, around like 20, 21, 22, like that's kind of, you want to take on the world, you want to take on the establishment, you're the young person. And like that, that was my shit. I'm just like, fuck this guy rules. He fucking shreds. He's taken down this guy, like who everyone thinks is a God, like this is amazing. And, and that's a total like personal thing for me. Like someone who was like team Kelly was like that era sucked or whatever, like, you know, probably like completely over it. And then someone who's just become a fan in recent years is like, like my kid, um, uh, Kellen, he's like a huge John fan. He does no idea who like Kelly is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it funny. Like, uh, is it just our age that we think that that era was necessarily like you say, Mikey, like it's the story and we were probably more captivated because I don't know, maybe we were, we were a bit younger, like same thing back on the coast. Like I'm coaching these kids and I'll break out my phone and, if it's like a frontside carve, I'm like showing them a Mick video. Or if it's like a, you know, big roundhouse, I'm showing them a Joel video and I'm kind of looking at them like losing concentration. I'm just going like, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a minute here. Like this is fucking Joel Parkinson we're talking about here. They're like, show me Chipper or someone, you know? And I'm like, okay, I can, show, I can show you that too. But what about this? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Is. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it, it is probably, it's probably the most watched or at least the, most passionately watched subjectively scored sport on the planet right mm. when you get down to it yeah yeah no it's cool and i think like what you said earlier is cool like sometimes you get in your own way like going to the whole bugs thing like good waves good surfers yeah and sorry just on that point that reminded me of something that dave you said earlier so you guys are thinking of going to seven day waiting periods with a shorter just a runtime of an event is that right yeah, I mean, don't quote me on the numbers, but I mean, we've gone from from like two weeks, and I think most of them now are are closer to like 12, 11, 10 days, even now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, and it's always a balance, right? Because you do want to get the very best waves. So if you shave a day off, percentage wise, you probability wise, you lo you're losing the potential to nail like a really good day either before or after. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of like streamlining the tour if you can shave the runtime down, you can shave the window down because you don't need as many days or as many good days. And um, as far as last year's QS qualifiers go, do they have anything to worry about? Is there any chance that they wouldn't get to surf, you know, a full year on tour? Last year's QS qualifiers. Ethan Ewing, so Jack Robbo. Jack Robinson. Right, okay, no, sorry, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, if the if the WSL decides to run like a 2020 season and to run uh, to, and to have a 2020 world champ, right? Um, then yeah, theoretically, that could be a a, um, a truncated season, right? Um, and they wouldn't get a crack at every event. What we're trying to do is cancel as few events as possible because if we do get to start up events again at some point we may want to add some of those event venues back in if it's possible to get our numbers back up because we want to have a legitimate world champ in 2020 if we can have it. Um, and we'd have a, you know, a legitimate season if we can have it. We wouldn't be having 11 events, but maybe it's eight events. So I did want to steer clear of hypotheticals, but hypothetically, if there was no season run in 2020, mm. 
we move into 2021 with um, the new proposed plan. It gets ticked off. In my mind, the CT starts in July. I could be wrong. So it does. <laughs> what happens there with the Q? Because obviously the QS is going to be in the first half. Then what happens to your Jack Robbo's and your Ethan Ewing's? And has there been a conversation around that? If it starts in July, the QS would have to be before that. And if it doesn't start in July, it wouldn't have to be before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of hypotheticals, fortunately, uh, that's Pat's uh, specific department and Travis's specific program. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, they work really, really closely with the WPS, with Christian Becerra and, and Connor yeah. Coffin and Audi West and uh, Weston Webb, excuse me, and Ace Bucken and, and the QS reps. And yeah, ultimately, they want to do the best thing for everybody. So if that's rolling you know, events have already been surfed over this year, if that's, that's for preferential seating, whatever that looks like. Ideally, we have, um, ideally, we're running events again, as soon as possible. And, and that could look like a few different things. It could look like what we talked about, where it's a condensed QS and CT season in 2020. And we start things up in 2021 with with the new changes. Um, it could be a combined thing where we're combining 2020 and 2021 if we can't start up soon enough, but we feel like we want to start running some stuff and give people a leg up. Yeah. Um, or it might just be real clean and we might just have to start in 2021, you know, but um, yeah, I think, I mean, all those things will be addressed for sure. Yeah. That's, that will be the trickiest one, unfortunately. But that's why. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys, I mean, like, you know, I'll just use Ethan Ewing as an example. Like he looks like he's one of the best surfers on the planet today. You know, mm. like, I mean, I, the way he's been surfing over the last few months, specifically over the end of last year, um, I was really, I, I am really, really excited to see when, when he gets a crack at the CT again, because I think that kid's really special. And I think a number of those guys that are, have quali- and girls who have qualified are really, really good. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. I certainly feel for young uh, Amura Suzuki. Didn't qualify. Carissa pulled out, so she's on. This whole year is going to go through with probably very limited events, if any. And then it's just back to regular programming. And oh, she's going to unfortunately miss out by the look of it, which um, emotions up and down on the roller coaster for, for her. But yeah, it's a strange one. But God, how uh, prophetic was Carissa's decision to pull out of 2020? She doesn't oh. have to worry about any of this shit. Chris Moore, mate, he knows it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a good, in hindsight, it's a great call. And uh, she's just at home working on uh, working on the refurb on the house, I think. Yeah, oh, that's wild. Oh, Dave, you're the host of your own podcast, and you're uh, much more organised than us. Uh, you've got your own microphone set up there. We're just hanging on to like 1999 iPhone headphones. Um, did you have any questions for the? For the boys? Jeez, that's a good question. We can do a lightning round if you guys want to do that. What's that? Oh, clearly you don't listen to my podcast days. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I listened to the Jaddy one. Listen to the Sage one. Same same questions at the wow. end of each one. Hold on one Stace, second. you're a true surf fan. You went straight for Jaddy. I did. I went to Jaddy because you cooked him and I'm like, nah, I got to get behind this guy. <laughs> No, a quick Jaddy story while Dave's pulling up these questions. Um, a good friend of mine, he um, had a, his, uh, his stag, his bucks party. And uh, in the Australian juniors, he consistently lost to Jaddy. And we always joke that he lost his career to Jaddy. 
and uh, at uh, Brazil last year, I said, oh, Jaddy, mate, can I, can I get one of your old rashies if you don't need it? He goes, mate, not in Brazil. I'm going to keep all the, my Brazil Boy Rio Pro ones for my family, but um, I'll give you my one in J-Bay. I said, Any, anything's all good, mate. It's not till the end of the year, but um, that'd be great. Loses first round in J-Bay, loses his second round in J-Bay, disappears for a week, and I thought, he's gone home. I'll just catch him at the next one. Comes and finds me filming on the beach, taps me on the shoulder and hand delivers me one of his rashies to take home to one of my mates. And I've just gone, this guy is just the man. He's That's all you person. hear. He's just the biggest legend. Not, yeah. He's a good person. Yeah. I, sim- similar story I um, with Reef Hazelwood, actually, um, because I worked on the Airborne with Kersey. And uh, at the, I met Reef right after he got dropped from Billabong in Hawaii at... Um, like the Vans barbecue on the North shore. And he was a super nice kid. And we talked for like five minutes and I said, man, and he just, he just stuck those like two huge airs, like at Rocky Lefts or something like the first, first year he did that. And I'm like, Oh man, he's a really nice kid. And then um, the guy that was with him told me later on, he's like, Oh, you know, Bill Wong had to drop him. And I saw it's a bummer. And I, um, I texted Kersey like a week later or something. And I said, Hey, you should let me give this guy a shot, like on the airborne, like on the gold coast. Cause he's around and he's, it's a cool story and he's like oh i'm already thinking about it great and then like that was it and then i was surfing deba like a few months later and i got out of the water and i was kind of standing there on the on the sand and reef gets out of the water and runs up to me and he's like hey you know i just he just won the trials i think too for that event and on the on for the actual main event and he's like hey dave it's me reef and i'm like yeah congrats like congrats on this and congrats on that and he's just like uh, Josh told me that you spoke up for me and I really want to thank you for that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. No, dude, you did all the work. Like you're doing all the great work. So fucking, you're awesome. And he's like, okay, cool. I just want to say that. And he like ran back out and went surfing. I'm like, all right. So this guy like remembers who I am, like gets out of the water, comes and thanks me. And then gets back. It's like, there's really good people. What a legend. Yeah. That's a, he's a good kid. Really humble, really good kid. All right. Well, since you have never listened to the lineup, both of you, we do 10 questions at the end, lightning round. You got to answer as fast as you can. So, uh-huh. so there's no confusion. I will say the question and then we'll start with Mikey and then we'll go to Stace each time. Deal? Right. Yeah. Okay. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, what would you have? Thruster. I've got these weird obsessions with quads recently, even though I currently don't own one. I'm going to go quad. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea, coffee, burrito or pizza, pizza, pizza. Last book you read? Oh, um, the girls. Oh God, it's been a while. Um, although I did think I had a good feeling about a book recently. Um, I've pulled on the road by Jack Kerouac back out off the shelf. So that's what I'm currently sitting on, but I haven't finished it, but yeah. Best surf film ever. Oh, um, Endless Summer 2. Shout out Pat O'Connell. <laughs> that guy gets answered quite a lot. Mm. Stranger Than Fiction, uh, specifically mm. Dane Reynolds section two, a yeah, yeah, yeah song. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one wave you never have to go back to. Oh man, um, Sebastian Inlet. Sorry, friendy, but uh, Alexandra Headland on the Sunshine Coast. Um, if you only got to surf one wave the rest of your life, 
God. Um, wow. You've got me good on this one. Uh, I'm going to defer to Stace while I think. Um, well, I have to keep it cool. Crumb and Alley. Crumb and Alley works because I can surf it from when I'm like, I don't know, however old I am now to when I'm 100 years old on a sup. So that works well. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Um, yeah, God, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking too hard because I'm thinking like, oh, what can I surf every day but also gets pumping? And yeah, I'm just going to say Playa Hermosa, Costa Rica. That works. Best person to share a lineup with. God, Stace, go again, please. Fuck, I love and I hate sharing a lineup with Cruzy, so I'll say him because sometimes his energy is too much for me. And if I'm having a shit surf, uh, it doesn't work well for me. But if I'm having a good surf and Cruzy's having a good surf, then it's it's epic. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm struggling so hard right now, but I guess I'm trying to think of people that somebody else would know. But I think I just would prefer to surf with my buddy Ben. He's uh, one of my best buddies from college, and he's actually the one that films the board reviews with me. So the running joke is that we only ever see each other when we're filming those things, and then he never gets to surf with me because he's always filming on the beach. That's fine. You don't have to name people that people know. <laughs> okay, worst person to share a lineup with, Mikey. You got to go first this time. Ashton Goggins. <laughs> um... The worst person to share a lineup with is the person that jumps off the rock and thinks they're on the next wave. You're talking about Mitch Parkinson. He's got a certain level of availability to do that. There's a lot worse offenders than him as far as the order of it goes. Like if, if like Bruce Lee or Daryl Parkinson jumped off the rock and they want to go the next wave, like obviously just let him go. But there's plenty of people that are far below that realm that still think they're on the next one. You're not on the next one. Okay, last sentence. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... I do remember these. Oh. Yeah, well, unfortunately, not going surfing because it's still illegal. Um, I'm going to achieve happiness by, I guess, just going on a little uh, secret beach walk with my dog, which you're not supposed to do, but I have a little, little cutty back way that we get to go run around for an hour every day. So that's it. Uh, I will last. Uh, what, what is it? I'll last achieve. Oh, you will next achieve a state of happiness by sharing something I've learned. Hmm. Great. That's it. Those are the lightning rounds. I, I do right. remember that. I just forgot what it was called. So yeah, that was epic. We need to, we need to copy that, Mikey. That was sick. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, it surprised it me because I think Jaddy said tea and it just blew my mind. I was like, this guy doesn't drink coffee or, or someone. Mate. I can't remember who it was. And I was just completely blown away because their energy levels said to me that they were a coffee drinker. Well, the <laughs> CT guys and girls that we do the podcast with are great because when you get to the worst person to share a lineup with, they all have one right away but they never say it. They're like, oh, I can't say that. And I'm like, no. And then someone the other day is like, I'll say it. Fucking anyone in the top 30 sit for. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that is classic. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, I'm, 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 all, out of, I'm all out of questions. I'm thankful for your time, Dave. What about you, Mikey? Yeah, I'm all good. Um, Dave, thank you so much for coming on to the Stab Cusp. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. We'll come back. 
chop up some more stuff when we got more stuff. Yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. Um, and uh, I guess um, it's good to see some dates in place. What we've got, uh, June 1 is the next call. June 1's the next call. We, we, we figured it takes us about 30 days between making a decision to run events and to, to set it up. So all the events right now through the end of June are postponed and, and June 1 will come back and we'll make an assessment for the events starting in July. All right, boys. Well, cool. Fun. Uh, we will catch you later. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>